0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word. We thank you, uh, as we're getting into the second week now in our long series in Romans, thank you that you uh, continue to show us the riches that are to be found in Jesus. This morning we ask please, as we uh, hear again about the gospel, about this proclamation of Jesus being king, we ask that you would fill us with joy in believing, that we would know Jesus and that we would put our trust in him. Amen. You should be ashamed, he said to me. You should be ashamed of yourself. We know better. We're at university. We're educated and smart. I mean, this, this religious stuff, maybe that's for people out there, people who don't know any better, people who need a crutch. For the uneducated, for the perhaps not quite so clever. Religion's all well and good for them, but how could you possibly believe in miracles and all this superstitious stuff? You should be ashamed, she said to me. How could you possibly force this upon your kids? I mean, gone are the days where the parents choose the religion for their children. They need to be free to choose their own path now. Don't just brainwash them. You should be ashamed of yourself, read the comment. I mean, religion, by all means, do what you want in private. But in public, well, don't bring your religion to bear here. Certainly not in discussions of policy. I'm ashamed. I thought to myself after the conversation. He was the perfect opportunity. Grandma had died recently. She was looking for hope. Some hope. Any hope. And even though I had the message of life that could have brought real hope, I thought, well, no, it's weak. It's foolish. You should be ashamed is what the world has to say to those who hold on to the message about Jesus. And yet Paul says, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says it boldly, he says it proudly and the reason why he is not ashamed is what I want to spend most of this morning focusing on. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now if you came last week, Sorry, guys. Uh, If you came last week, you would have heard about the gospel, which is the proclamation that God's king has been seated on his throne. There you go. Uh, The king is Jesus. We know he's the king because he was resurrected from the dead. And being the king means that one day he's going to come back and call to account everybody who has been treasonous against God. That's what we heard last week. That is the gospel. But before we come to why Paul isn't ashamed, Why would he even use the word ashamed? I can understand Paul saying, I'm not afraid to preach the gospel. Anyone know what happened to Paul whenever he went and he preached? Whenever he preached about Jesus? He rocked up into one town and he started telling them about Jesus and some slaves heard the message of Jesus and by various circumstances stopped producing money for their owners. So what do you think happened to Paul? They picked up stones and they threw them at him. That's the kind of reception he got. He was stoned, he was uh, whipped, he was run out of town, he was put into prison, He was all of these things because he preached the gospel. I can understand him saying, I'm not afraid. Why not ashamed? Well, to get that, we need a bit of a run-up. Let's go back to verse 8 and let's see about Paul and the Romans. Now, by the way, if you've got a sheet like this on the way in, it's a little outline of what I'm saying. Uh, If you're a note-taker, by all means, write stuff down. If not, it'll help you at least see where we're going. Firstly, Paul shares his delight. Paul is just so glad that people in Rome have heard about Jesus. Verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Rome, the capital, the centre of the world, has heard the message. I don't think that their faith was anything special. It's not that the people in Rome were doing astonishing things and so all the world heard about it. It's just even in Rome they've now heard about Jesus. Paul's delighted. Now he desired to visit them. He wanted to go and see him. Verse 9, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you. He wanted to come and visit. Fair enough. I long to see you. We can strengthen one another. We can be of mutual encouragement to one another. It's kind of strange that he hasn't gone yet. This is Rome we're talking about. Now, us siders we like to think that we're the centre of the world, right? You ever come across that? Why would you live anywhere but Sydney? And in fact, having come to Ingleburn, I've now discovered, people in Ingleburn think Ingleburn is the centre of the world. You may be surprised to believe it. In fact, people here talk about going to Sydney when they talk about the city, right? That's just... But let's be honest, it's a little backwater suburb in a little backwater city, in a little backwater country. I mean, we're down at the bottom of the world. Sydney's not really the middle of the world. Rome was. You ever heard the expression, all roads lead to... And they really did. <laughs> all roads really did lead to Rome. Because the Romans built them, so hence the roads came out from Rome and so they came back to Rome, right? Fair enough. But, so why had Paul not been to the very capital of the known world? After all, wasn't he the ambassador to the nations? Perhaps there were some people suggesting that Paul's message wouldn't really hold up to scrutiny. That if he came to Rome where the wise were, where the intellectuals were, where the cultured elite were, they'd hear his message and laugh for the foolishness that it sounded like. And so Paul has his defence as to why he hasn't come. Verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, the double negative, I want you to know that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now. If you read the story of Paul's travels through the book of Acts, it's astonishing. Sometimes the spirit of God stops him. Sometimes Satan stops him. Sometimes circumstances conspire against him, so to speak. But Paul had a very specific mission. We can read about it in chapter 15. We're going to come to that next term. But he says this, just so you know, chapter 15, verse 20. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. But now, he says, there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and so, since I plan on going to Spain, I'll pass through you guys. It's not a bad claim, is it? I only preach where Jesus hasn't been preached yet. Hey, look, the entire continent has now been preached to. i better go to Spain. On my way past, I'll stop in at Rome. It's not that I am ashamed. It's not that I'm afraid that somehow you guys in your cleverness, in your smartness, in your educated kind of worldview, are going to be able to pull this apart and I'm going to be left thinking I've got nothing. In fact, verse 14, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, which is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. It almost sounds like he's calling them fools, but it's the other way around. He's calling them the wise. Now, let me just clarify some words here Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Greeks. We need to make sure we understand those words if we get what he's saying. Jews were people from Israel, it was a nationality that had a religion attached to it. I'm Australian. You could be Lebanese. You could be Bangladeshi. You could be, it's a nationality, except that it had a religion attached to it. So you were both Jewish by nation, nationality and Jewish by religion. Gentile is really easy. Well, you've got to make sure you get the word right. It's Gentile, not genital. Okay, That's, just, well, that's what they're learning over there. Paul didn't come to save all the, uh, the genitals. He came to save all the Gentiles. We've got to get that one right. And the Gentiles are very easy. The Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. Right, so the world is divided in two. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. Most of us are Gentiles, unless your mum was Jewish. And then you're Jewish as well. Right? Easy? Jew, Gentile. we got that one. Roman is really easy. That was just people from Rome. So why is Paul calling them Greeks when he's talking to the Romans? Well, to be Greek was to be the dominant culture of the day. Rome, nationality, Greek, culture. The Greeks were the philosophers the thinkers, the culturally advanced ones. And so it didn't matter who you were, you wanted to be Greek. And so Paul says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. It's a, it's, it's a very uh, kind translation, right? Greeks and barbarians. Those who are sophisticated and those who are not. Wise and foolish. Paul would preach to everyone and to anyone. Why? Why? for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul wasn't avoiding the Romans out of shame. Do you want to know why he was not ashamed? Verse 16, the gospel, this message, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, the Jews got it first, fair enough, but then for the Gentile, then for the rest. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. David, people say to me, I'm from the wrong background. I couldn't become a Christian. I'm from the wrong nationality. I speak the wrong language. I'm from the wrong culture. I have the wrong past. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the places that I've been. You don't know the people that I've hurt. You don't know me. The gospel is the power that God uses to save everyone. Does't matter if you consider yourself an intellectual boffin or dumb as bricks. It doesn't matter if you think that you're actually not too bad and kind of OK and the Aussie good person and semi-religious, or if you really know how rotten you are. it doesn't matter. The gospel is the power of God to save. Everyone. So, of course, Paul's going to preach in Rome. For this is the God's power to save. We've kind of lost the word salvation these days. Do you know who still knows about the word save? People who play video games, right? Oh, no, Mama can't come yet. I've got to save the game. Right? That's, that's what saving means these days. Although with online games, you don't have to save as much anymore. But anyway, don't worry about that. Salvation, rescue from imminent danger. It's a simple word. We're in, we're in trouble. There's a problem that we're facing, and we need salvation. Now, next week, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about it. And I'll show you the very first few words the wrath of God is being revealed, right? There's the problem that we're going to read about next week. But let me give you enough for today. The problem is this the problem is God. Have you ever thought about it that way? The problem is God. You see, God is righteous not not like um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure righteous, but actually righteous, morally good, perfect. Not, not just okay good, but blazing fire kind of good. The sort of good that if even the tiniest speck of some sort of evil were to enter into his presence, it gets consumed instantly. That is God. And when God's king comes back, do you know where he's going to take us? you, me, every human who's ever lived, every human who ever will live, do you know where he's going to take us? Into God's presence. That holy God, that righteous God, that consuming fire of a God. And let's be honest, you and I are unambiguously not morally perfect. You might be okay. You might be really nice. I don't know a lot of you. At least some of you are going to be really nice people. But you're not perfect. I can see it from here. (laughs) Sorry, I had... Oh, man. Anyway. So what happens when we come before God? And he's perfect and we're not. There is no possible way that you and I can pay what God demands. You could spend the rest of your life praying and meditating and doing charity and giving alms and caring for the poor and doing religious things day after day after day after day, and it would not be enough. I met a guy yesterday. I oh, wasn't yesterday, it was Thursday. Uh, at an ice cream shop. I was there to buy ice cream, as you are. And, uh, and I walked in and there was this guy chatting to the assistant and, and they kind of stopped and she came over to help me. And I oh, I want this ice cream, and this ice cream, whatever. And he came over to have a chat. I thought, oh, you're a nice friendly guy. We'll talk for a while. And he says, oh, well, which, which one's your favourite flavour? I'm like, oh, well, the hazelnut. It's what I'm here for. This stuff is just amazing. And he says, yeah, yeah, I make that one because I like eating it. I'm like, oh, Okay, well, I wonder who this guy is, and we talk a bit more. And he goes, "Yeah, the chocolate as well, right? I make the hazelnut and the chocolate just because I want to eat them every day. I come in, I have either a hazelnut or a chocolate. Oh, well, is this is this your shop?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah, it is. It's my shop." Then he starts, you know, he gets the, the assistant to start handing me over flavors, like, "Oh, make him try this one and this one. Oh, my son makes that one. It's not so good, but try it anyway." And blah and blah blah. Anyway, and we're talking away, and we get talking about religion. He says, "Oh, well, you're an Anglican minister. Tell me the differences." He says between the Anglicans and the Catholics. Oh, you know, and oh, we well, we'll start talking about it. And it becomes very clear that he was a very, very religious man. He says, I go to Mass every day. Every day of the week, 7 o'clock, I'm there. Except for Saturdays, unless it's Easter Saturday. And then I'm like, oh, that's very detailed, okay. And and every day that I'm there, right, we're doing the Eucharist and we're saying the prayers and I'm, I'm working desperately hard to make sure that I'm right with God. And I can tell you I left that conversation very sad because that man can keep going till the day dies and it will not be enough the gospel is the power for the salvation of everyone who believes and do you want to know how how it is that it saves was there in verse 17 for in the gospel or by the gospel a righteousness from god is revealed what you and i need is quite extraordinary The only way that we can enter into the presence of God and not die is to be as righteous as God is. And somehow, in the Gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed. Not the righteousness that says you're going to die, but the righteousness that says you can have this too. You can have this perfection. It's an offer. In the Gospel, God offers to give you what he demands. It, it, it's whoever makes that offer. Right, you owe me a hundred bucks. Okay, not, not just because it's not the fee for being here this morning, but just pretend for a moment. You owe me a hundred bucks, and I'm offering to give a hundred bucks to anyone who wants it. Really? That's exactly the offer that is here to take all of our sin, our guilt, our evil. The speck, if you're a really good person, although let's be honest it's a bit bigger than a speck, all the way through to the life of evil that every one of us has lived and God offers to take it and put it on Jesus and to take his perfection that does meet God's standard and count it to us. That is the offer that the gospel makes. Bye-bye shame, bye-bye guilt, bye-bye my past. And hello, Jesus, clean slate. And all you have to do is entrust your life into his hands. That's the word faith. I mean, it, it gets a very negative religious rap, right? A righteousness that is by faith. And we go, oh, well, faith is this spooky kind of stuff. It just means entrusting, it means putting your life that you know you can't save into his hands because he can save you. The promise is there at the very end of our passage the righteous by faith will live. So if you receive this righteousness that God is offering by trusting Jesus, you will gain immortality. I mean we're almost in being ashamed territory again, right? Who talks about immortality these days? Eternal what are we in a fantasy novel or something? It makes no sense to talk about eternal life. Well, it makes no sense unless you know the king who brings immortality because he is immortal. He was raised from the dead. He lives and will live forevermore. Makes no sense unless you know the gospel. I'm not ashamed, Paul says, because the gospel is the salvation. It is the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is offered to you. Now I want to draw out a few implications. Firstly, let me speak to those of us who consider ourselves Christian. You know, you trust, you believe. Are you righteous by faith? That is, do you know that by trusting in Jesus, everything is done so that you are okay with God? That is the only way. That is the power for salvation. Trust Jesus. And you gain the very righteousness of God. There's nothing left to be done. Now, maybe you need to look back at the last week, the last month. You need to think do I? Do I trust? Or do I find myself caught up once again in the thinking that says, I need to do, insert whatever it is? You don't need it. Secondly, Christian, are you ashamed? Do you find yourself just kind of holding it back? God's chosen a king. The king's going to come back to judge. For a limited time only, God is offering you mercy. Or are we ashamed to speak those words? Now I get it, it's hard. It is hard. We face constant backlash from a world to whom the message is either confrontational, it's either you're coming in for a fight or it's just foolish. Who believes this stuff? And so even our closest and dearest and nearest will pay us out for it. And so we are tempted to be ashamed, but you know it to be the power of God. I trust you do, for if you are saved, it's how God saved you. So you know that it's the power of God to save By all means, be shamed, be ridiculed, be an outcast, be scorned. By all means, have that, but do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the only message that saves. It is the only way to deal with sin, to deal with the separation between man and God. It is the only hope that we have for grace, for mercy. Look, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you... Somebody invited you along, they've pestered you for a while, you finally said yes, maybe you're just coming to check it out and you know you haven't taken God up on his offer. Then let me say a few things to you. Number one, are you sick of Christians banging on about it? Maybe the friend who invited you here is just always, Jesus, Jesus this and Jesus that, not as a swear word, but actually wanting to tell you about him, right? And you're just, I'm over it. Well, can you cut them some slack? They love you genuinely they love you and they keep going on about Jesus because they want you to be saved. There's a danger that they see and they know how to get you out of it. And so secondly, you need to know that message. God has appointed his king. He really has. And the king is seated on his throne preparing everything to come back and bring an end to all of these people who are in rebellion against him. And for a limited time only, there is an offer being made that is unimaginable. He's offering to give you what he's going to demand, to give you the righteousness that you will need and to take your sin and pay for it completely. And so thirdly, I was reflecting, why would you not accept this offer? I'm trying to think of the reasons why. I come up with four. If you come up with more, come and tell me later. Firstly, we're so often proud. Us blokes in particular, but let's be honest, all of us can do this. We don't like the idea of handouts. What do you mean that somebody's going to give me what I owe them? I owe it to them, I'll work for it, I'll pay you back, thank you very much. If I owe you 100 bucks, I don't want you to give me $100. bucks. i am going to go, I'm going to get the money and I'm going to do it by myself. And so we say that to God. I'm going to try and get there on my own. Or perhaps it's just easier to ignore it. Really? I mean, I've got to trust that there's a king out there because surely if he's a king, it's going to mean that I have to change things in my life. It's just easier to ignore it. I hope it goes away. Now, maybe you just outright don't believe. It's not true. None of this happened. Jesus, who's he? Someone made him up. The resurrection, fairy tales. No, maybe that's you. Perhaps you've been hurt. That's the fourth reason I can think of. A Christian somewhere or the church somehow, somebody's hurt you badly and you're just not going to go anywhere near that ever again. Now, whatever your reason, you need to take the time to consider it, please. Especially if you've been hurt before, don't let a bad salesman turn you off from the message. I'm, I'm sorry, I really am sorry if you have been hurt in the past. We're a bunch of sinners too. And it's God's righteousness that he's given to us. Now, yesterday, uh, I went shoe shopping. Uh, just to finish with, with something a little bit different. I went shoe shopping. I went. It, it was boy shoe shopping, not girl shoe shopping. Right? It was the pair of shoes that I needed, not my 30th pair. And uh, it, <laughs> Sorry. That's my missus over there. She's laughing. It's all good. It's all good. I worked for a lady once who had two hundred and fifty pairs of shoes. She had a closet just for shoes, right? It was astonishing. Anyway. I went shoe shopping for I went for squash shoes. Not shoes made out of pumpkins, but shoes for playing squash in, right? That was anyway, so I went to Rebel Sport. They had a sale on yesterday. 20% 20% off, store-wide, one day only. I thought, brilliant, what an offer, I'm going to go and check it out. So I walked in, I went up to the young guy and I said, I'm here for some squash shoes. And he looked at me and went, oh, squash? <laughs> I play that with my dad's friends sometimes. And I'm like, oh, thanks, yeah, right? Made me feel old anyway. So we're looking at the shoes and there's shoes for indoor soccer and there's shoes for running and there's shoes for uh, CrossFit. I mean, who wears special shoes for CrossFit? You're just, you're just pushing a tire over, right? You know, Apparently you need special shoes. But they didn't have shoes for squash. So it was a great offer, but it was no use to me. It was limited time only. It's gone. So if you wanted to shop at Rebel Sport with 20% off, you can't. It finished yesterday. It's okay. I'm not getting money from them. Although if you're listening to the tape, Rebel Sport, uh, 84 Cumberland Road, thank you. Uh, It was a great offer, but it was of no use to me. Now I want you to walk away from today knowing that God today now is making you an offer that is so much better than that. It's not 20% off, it's 100% off. And it is only a limited time only. You walk out the door and a bus hits you, that offer ends. Jesus comes back and it could be at any minute the offer ends and you will have to pay full price. And believe me, this is an offer that is good for everyone for your sin can be paid for. It's not squash shoes that they don't have. It is the righteousness of God that he wants to gift to you if you will only let him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, and we shouldn't be either. For it is the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. Thank you especially for the way in which you show us this astonishing, astonishing offer, that Jesus would die in our place, your King crucified for us. Removed from us ever, ever, ever being ashamed. But to know that this is your power to save. And so, Father, would you do that work among us? Amen.